Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night. It is May 21st, the year of our Lord, 2020. We have got an absolute jam-packed show tonight, so much so that I already had to push like 20% of it to Sunday. We are talking Ohio State, Michigan today, and we're talking about it in sort of um, jumbled together sort of fashion. This is not going to be a typical segment, only because I saw like, I told Colin, I saw like five or six things that caught my eye, and they all fit into this general premise. So we're going to discuss that in just a second. I'm also going to sort of delve into an article that Brandon Marcello, our national writer here at 24-7 Sports, put out earlier this afternoon. It caught my eye. This is why I had to change the formatting of the show about a potential dip in SEC quarterback play, which I think is pretty likely. How likely is it, and what doors could that potentially open? We're going to circle around that. We're going to talk about that in a little while. And also, I have noticed that there is no one who is neutral on Tennessee recruiting right now. Yes, we're talking Tennessee tonight again. You see this grin, and you know who you are. You know who I'm grinning at if you are watching this. We are going to talk to everyone, because everyone seems to have an opinion. It's either, ooh, Tennessee's rolling, or it's, well, their average star ranking kind of sucks, or it's, well, it's only May. A lot of these kids will decommit. And it's not just, well, let's sit back and see how this unfolds. So I'm not so much going to break down Tennessee recruiting. Everyone's already done that. A lot of you are asking this question, especially outside of Knoxville. A lot of you are asking, why would kids go there? What are they selling? Now, a lot of you are making <clears throat> ridiculous allegations. Let me leave it at that. But that's the French minority. Many more if everything's on the up and up, like, why would you go to Tennessee? Especially if you had offers to Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, LSU, Florida, and the like. Well, I know why. I'm going to try to explain to you why, and we're going to do all that tonight. So if you haven't already subscribed to the channel, if you're on YouTube, click the bell for notifications. The Late Kick podcast just continues to shoot up the charts, so we really appreciate that. The Late Kick Extra podcast, we went over an hour. Typically, I don't try and do that, but you loaded me down with questions, so I tried to get as many answers to you as possible. We talked about college football some. We talked about things that have nothing to do with college football. One such nothing to do with college football topic that we touched on in that uh, Late Kick Extra podcast Wednesday that's still available if you haven't downloaded it, I've got to correct before the end of the show. We are jam-packed. I mean, we are loaded. So let's get to this. I've got a lot of papers in front of me because i got a lot of quotes that I have to read. So let's get started. Ohio State, Michigan. I think a lot of you probably looked around, checked your phones, saw it on TV, web, wherever you get your news. This week, Jim Harbaugh was talking to Mike Tirico. forget what show it was, but he was quoted. Let me go ahead and get the quote out of the way, and then I'll talk about the reaction. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. This has already been beaten like a dead horse. We've got to beat Ohio State, Harbaugh said. Nothing makes us angrier than that, or me. That's what we're working toward every day. We've beaten anyone else, or we've beaten everyone else. How about that? That was a little bit of breaking news to me. We've beaten everyone else, but we haven't beat them. 
That's what we have to do, beat them, win a championship, get ourselves into the playoff, win a national championship. All right, so now that sparked a whole bunch of reaction, not so much because that's interesting, but because no one thinks they have anything else to talk about. But then I read a few that went down this road. They went down the, let's talk about what else separates Ohio State and Michigan. There's a gap. Everyone can see that. There's a gap between the programs right now. What separates it? And then, I don't know how you guys did it. I couldn't get more than 50 words out of this before I came to a conclusion. But some of you guys wrote like a thousand words on explaining what separates Ohio State and Michigan. I'm going to try. Let's see how long I go here, Colin. Roster. That's one word. Roster, as far as I can tell, is what separates them. Now, what you can do is you can work backwards and say, well, how did we get to this gap in roster, gap in talent, gap in skill? And you can trace it from the roster to recruiting. And then you can retrace it from recruiting to, well, maybe our product and program's not attractive enough. And then you can backtrack from there and you can ask, okay, well, does that have something to do with who we hired as head coach? I don't know about that. Everyone was very excited when you hired Jim Harbaugh. Maybe, just maybe, Jim Harbaugh came to Ann Arbor and he had a successful formula. He understands the principles of winning, but maybe they need to be modernized. And maybe it took him a little while to understand, I need to modernize things. I think they've taken steps. I don't think that you can look at the hiring of Josh Gaddis and say, Oh, there's just another Harbaugh hire. No, you may not like Josh Gaddis, or you may not fully believe he's the answer, and I'm not here to tell you that I just fully believe Josh Gaddis is going to be the savior for Michigan football. Maybe he will be, but at least it's an attempt by Jim Harbaugh to take a step in a more modernized direction. He's not an idiot. He's not a fool. He sees the product on the field and knows more about his roster than you do. Here's what I've been talking about with Michigan. What I talked about the other day, what I talked about on the Lake Kick Extra podcast was... When I look at the roster, and I look at Ohio State's roster, and I look at how seamlessly Ohio State and Ryan Day and before him Urban Meyer have been able to sell their product and sell their brand to the elite perimeter skill type guys. I don't care if you go to the DMV or work your way down the eastern seaboard, get into South Florida because they've been able to do that. They can go into Texas and get DB and wide receiver talent. Mainly I'm talking wide receiver talent. And they can go to California and do it too. I don't think Michigan can. Michigan hasn't done it to the degree. Let's just say that. There may be anecdotal exceptions. They haven't done it to the degree that the Buckeyes have been able to do it. And the reason is because the product hasn't been attractive enough. Believe it or not, I'm from the South, guys. I'm still in the South right now, relatively speaking. In Nashville, I grew up south of here. Kids want to go play for Michigan. A lot of kids look for a reason. Give me a reason to go up north and play for Michigan. The reason hasn't been there. At some point, it becomes a business decision for a lot of kids. But this is, going back to this, this is why I believe Josh Gaddis, you can make the argument he's one of the most important people in college football this year. Last year was what it was. Very few times do you see like a Joe Brady walk in the door and one personnel change or one coaching staff change just atom bomb. Entire thing turns upside down. We turn the sport right on its ear. Rarely does that happen. Most of the time, you got to get a couple of years in. So now Josh Gaddis will be just that, a couple of years in. And I start looking around. And I know erroneously I said last week that J.J. McCarthy, the five-star committed quarterback for the Wolverines right now, was from New Jersey. I don't know why I said it. I said it, though. I know he's from Illinois. But I did not have Colin edit it out of the video. I deserve the roasting that you gave me. And give it to me, you did. So Illinois, five-star quarterback well, high school quarterback, 
transferring to IMG, possibly. Let's keep an eye on that. J.J. McCarthy committed to Michigan. Regardless of where he plays out his high school days, I think he's going to Michigan. So you've got him. And then I had a question the other day in the inbox. Christian Dixon, Xavier Worthy, these are guys that Michigan's in it for. These are California wide receiver products. But still, same message. That's the kind of kid I want to see Michigan involved for. That's the kind of kid I want to see Michigan landing. And if Josh Gaddis and the Michigan offense shows marked improvement this year before you even get the five-star quarterback in there, then all of a sudden that gives me a reason for optimism. But this is not the NFL. You don't get punished for your success. You get rewarded for your success in college. Let's talk about Ohio State now. I told you I just had a few different directions I wanted to go. The problem for Michigan and the problem for any major program or program period that allows a little bit of distance to form between themselves and the competition, in this case, yourself and your arch rival, is Ohio State's not slowing down. They got the right guy at the helm. They had the right guy in Urban Meyer. They still do have the right guy at the helm in Ryan Day. Ryan Day understands big picture. And I want to be respectful here, but I'm going to tell you, inside this rivalry, you guys care about Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan, Ohio State. You don't say the other's name. That's great. Love it. That's the fabric of college football. But let me speak as an outsider. I didn't grow up in this rivalry. So let me speak to, as an outsider to you briefly about how someone in, for instance, Nashville, Tennessee, or Houston, Texas, or Phoenix, Arizona, looks at this and looks at Ohio State. People outside this rivalry do not look at Michigan as the biggest obstacle for Ohio State right now. To be honest with you, I don't either. I hope it changes for your sake, but I'm just being real with you. When I look at Ohio State right now, I measure them against Alabama. I measure them against Clemson. I measure them against Georgia. Even though the Bulldogs haven't won a championship, I'm talking about people who recruit at the head table. Uh, LSU is at this table now. Those are the programs I compare Ohio State to. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because you could have one of two mentalities if you were Ryan Day. Dabo Swinney's done the same thing at Clemson. You could have one of two mentalities. You could look around your immediate surroundings in the ACC for Clemson or the Big Ten for Ohio State, and you could say, look at this huge gap, man. We're out to a huge lead. And you could coast. And you'd never compete on the national level. But hey, you'd run your block. You'd run your conference block for a little while. Ryan Day's not done that. Ryan Day understands. In fact, this little experience that the Buckeyes just had out in the Fiesta Bowl in the desert with Clemson when they built the lead and couldn't put it away, I think it lit a fire under them a whole lot more than anything that's going on in Ann Arbor, Michigan right now. So here's the problem. This program, this Ohio State program, they are number one by a wide margin in the Big Ten. They're not sitting still. See, when you talk about what we're going to do at Michigan and you talk about the steps we're going to take and we got a five-star quarterback coming in and we've got the hopefully the right offensive coordinator and now let's start sprinkling in some elite talent, that's great and that's on the right path. But you're focused on that and then you look back up and Ohio State's another mile down the road from where they were the last time you saw them and you say, they're not sitting still, man. They're still speeding up. How dare them? That's the name of the game in college football. You don't develop that gap overnight and you don't close that gap overnight. But this rivalry right now is a perfect snapshot of the decisions that have been made on both sides of this rivalry. It, if you go back to 2010 and you think about the mess, I know a lot of outsiders may, under, may have to think back, 2010, what was that? 2010, what was that? Well, the 2010 season for Ohio State was when all the tattoo scandal broke out. You don't really think about it all that much these days, do you? Buckeye fans may, but I don't think a lot of people outside of Columbus think about it, and it's because they made sound decisions, and they made the right decisions. They, Luke Fickle stepped in, 
and they swallowed it for a year, but then they hired a guy by the name of Urban Meyer, and everything was rectified, and they were once again one of the very top programs in America, and then not only did they rectify things and stable the ship, and they were right back in the mix, they had the right guy already in-house to take over when Urban Meyer left, and that's Ryan Day. And I was looking the other day, I told you, again, hodgepodge of thoughts here, I think it was CBS Sports, put out their head coaching rankings. I'll, I don't do this, period, but when I think about a hierarchy of head coaches, I think about it differently. I don't need to see your resume. I need to know what I would expect from you moving forward the next five years. And the bottom line is, you could be a rookie head coach and be the number one coach in America over the next five years for all I know. Well, a lot of people are hesitant. Ryan Day had a good first year as head coach at Ohio State, but they've been hesitant. Don't know why, but they've been hesitant to put him in a top five. I'll put him there right now. I have no qualms about it. Ryan Day, what's, what box has he not checked? Because all you're going to tell me is, well, he hasn't stacked up the years. Well, what are you doing? Are you doing inventory of the last five years? Or are you trying to tell me what's going to happen the next five years? Look at Ohio State. Where is there any indication that they're going to be worse than 10-2 and two any year over the next five years? Where is there any indication they're not going to have a roster littered with future NFL players? Where is there any indication their coaching staff is going to be anything less than elite? And where is there any indication this head coach is going anywhere? There's none. They've made good decisions. They're set up for the long run. Michigan also is a perfect example right now. They are a perfect product of their past decision-making. You had Lloyd Carr in there for a while, and they were a solid program. I don't need to remind anyone in Ann Arbor where this goes. It goes quickly off the rails. I got Michigan buddies who still get worked up when they talk about who didn't get hired and then who did get hired, and that, of course, was Rich Rodriguez. Guy had no chance to succeed there. He had the wrong people not on his side. I'm sorry if that's a double negative, but it is reality. I can promise you that. Then you got Brady Hoax next. Didn't exactly light the world on fire. And now we hire Jim Harbaugh, but we get a Jim Harbaugh that's been successful, but probably is very slow to modernize his offensive approach. And that is where we are right now. Michigan's not bad. That's not what we're asking of Michigan. We're asking them if they're going to compete with Ohio State and they're going to be the best in the Big Ten. They can't just be good. You know, a lot of ways, Michigan's in the same boat Florida's been in. Florida's probably a tick better as a program right now, but Florida's in a position right now. They're not four and eight. They're not even eight and four. They're a good program. They, Florida, have gone back-to-back -back New Year's Six Bowls, at least back-to-back. -back. They're really good, but they've got to overcome Georgia. And Michigan is a really good program. I was in Orlando on New Year's Day. I was watching them play Alabama. I wasn't watching them play UAB somewhere, all due respect to Bill Clark and the boys. Michigan's not a bad program, but that's not what we're expecting from Michigan. We're asking how do they get to the top of the mountain. And to get to the top of the mountain, you got to make good decisions. you got to make them for a while. But most importantly, offense has got to evolve. And I don't think that that's a unique question. We ask that and demand that of a lot of programs. I just think Michigan actually has the wherewithal and the resources to get it done. It's the everlasting will they get it done. And so far they haven't, but that doesn't mean they haven't already taken the right steps. It could be that Josh Gaddis was the absolute right hire, and it just takes two or three years to produce and yield the fruit that eventually they'll yield. We'll see. Um, you know, as I said, being an outsider, I pull for a more competitive Big Ten, just as I pull for a more competitive ACC. I'm spoiled because I got to grow up covering the SEC and watching the SEC. So you never really had that down here. I mean, you've had a few years where the East was down or maybe the West was down. But by and large, it's been very competitive. So 
that's what I'm used to. I would love to see that everywhere. Uh, let's move it on. And a reminder, by the way, <clears throat> a lot of you, after I get done, I always forget to tell you in the middle of the show. So I'll tell you now. If you want to get questions in for the Late Kick Extra podcast, you can do them a number of ways. You can do them email, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can direct message me on Twitter. You can direct message me on Instagram. Also, and here's a bonus, I'll 100% guarantee your questions get answered. If you look up our Late Kick with Josh Pate podcast and give us a five-star review and submit your question in the written review section, that is a 100% foolproof, guaranteed plan for getting your question answered on air. All right, let's continue here. I don't like sitting through a lot of that when I listen to a podcast so or when I watch a show, so I know you don't either. So we move on. Tennessee, a lot of haters out there, a lot of haters. So much so, as I told you guys last week, and it's only continued, and these are the first times in my life that these accusations have been thrown at me, I have been labeled. I'm talking about stamped to the forehead. There's a lot of room there, as you can see. Uh, Tennessee Homer. Colin Bell knows good and well that that's false, but yet I have been labeled a Tennessee homer. There's, out of the two of us that's in this building right now, one of us pulls into the parking lot every day with a Tennessee plate on the front of our car, and it's not me, but yet I've been labeled. Here's what I'm not going to do with this whole Tennessee segment we're about to talk about for a few minutes. There are a lot of very tired go-to takes, arguments, whichever verbiage you want to use there, for Tennessee's pretty hot recruiting stretch now. It's not a start. It's been a stretch. All of May, they've been hot. And so you've got the usual detractors that come in, and a lot of them will point out the average star ranking is not on par with what Ohio State has or maybe some of the other big boys. And then the others will tell you, well, hey, it's only May. So there's a lot of time for these kids to decommit. And then you've got the, well, who cares? Tennessee got talent under Butch Jones. Who says they're going to win now? I don't buy into any of that, so I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time with that. I mean, those arguments are low-hanging fruit. They're a dime a dozen. I'm not saying they couldn't end up being true. I just don't particularly buy into any of those lines of thought. So I want to talk tonight about what you guys are quietly whispering, a lot of you, amongst yourselves. A lot of you are very loudly shouting what I just went down a list of. Quietly, what you're doing is you're saying... How in the world is Tennessee doing this, though? Like, what approach is Jeremy Pruitt using? What messaging is he getting across to these kids that makes them commit to Tennessee and want to play for Tennessee, a place that hasn't proven in a program, hasn't proven they can do anything in almost a generation now? And not only that, they're getting kids that also have offers from other major programs. How are they doing this? How in the world is Jeremy Pruitt doing this? What is he selling? Well, I think I know, and I cheat because I get to talk to some of these kids, but he's selling vision. Now, I don't want to rehash old thoughts here, but we have new viewers every show and every week, and I appreciate it. I love having you guys. Can't wait to the season starts. We're going to blow it out of the water, viewership-wise, when the season gets here. But this is all that's happening. Last year, they had a horrific start, and then they steadied things, and then they were able, outside of your view, because you weren't paying attention to Tennessee, they ran off a string of wins at the end of the year. It wasn't a big deal. They didn't beat any top five team, but they ran off a string of wins. Salvaged their season, got to bowl eligibility, went and beat Indiana, I think it was, Colin. Yeah, Indiana and Jacksonville. Not anything to write home about. You didn't care if you just care about your team and the national scene. That was very much outside of your purview. But if you're watching the YouTube feed right now, you see Jeremy Pruitt. What he was able to do, what that man was able to do, is he was able to take it, and he was able to go into enough living rooms and say, 
you saw how we started, but you also saw how we finished. Now, how we finished, that's a preview of what I think this program is going to be under my leadership and direction moving forward, but we need you. And he got enough of those yous to wrap up a top 10 class this last cycle, which I thought was a borderline miracle that was worked by that coaching staff. So then we fast forward a little bit further. Now, there haven't been any more games played between now and then, but they're off to a really hot start in recruiting. That's all they're selling, guys. He is able to convince over the voices of all the detractors and maybe negative recruiters that have sat in these kids' living rooms and pitched against Tennessee, he's been able to overcome enough of that and convince kids, I've got a track record, okay? We may not have won big here yet, but look where I've been. We won big when I was at Alabama the first time and the second time. We won at Florida State. We won at Georgia. I've won everywhere I've been. I don't know how to lose once we get an adequate roster. I got to have you. I'm Jeremy Pruitt right now. I got to have you, okay? You want me to show you how I can develop you? Here it is. You want me to show you I know how to evaluate talent? Here's who I've gotten in the past. I got all these boxes checked. Look, look on my mantle here. Those are my championship rings. I got all that. I've been there. We need to get there here, and I need you to help me. The finish in 2019 was the key, but I'll tell you this. In 2020, I think it was to wrap up the last edition of Late Kick Live we had, someone asked, I think it was a guy named Dylan watches the program, and he asked, all these big games Tennessee has coming up in 2020, are there any must-win games? And he cited Oklahoma, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Those are the four biggest games, I'll say, for Tennessee this year. And I think unequivocally the answer is yes. Because here's the problem. You can only sell a vision for so long. You can only sell hope for so long. So I just took the role of Jeremy Pruitt, but now if I take the role of an assistant coach from Georgia or from Florida or from Alabama and I'm in your living room and Tennessee strikes out again this year and they're sitting there again seven and five and or six and six, whatever the case may be, and they've been blown out by the four big boy legitimate national championship contending teams they play, I'm going to tell you point blank, how many more years do you have to see this? Like if I'm Florida, we just, I don't know what we did in 2020, but I assume Florida's going to be pretty good again this year. If I'm Bama, if I'm LSU, if I'm Clemson, we have once again been in the national championship picture. Like, there's no mystery here, kid. We're there every year. They're there never. Do you know how old you were the last time we mentioned Tennessee football and college football playoff? Well, we never have because it didn't exist the last time that they were a contender at the end of the year. You only get one college career. Do you really want to flush it down the toilet taking a chance in Knoxville? When we're proven, we already know, we already got the formula. Let's just plug you in and go with what you know works in Gainesville, in Tuscaloosa, in Athens. That's how quickly things can change. That's what could upset this recruiting class if you're talking about potentially upsetting it. I think they're on a pretty good roll right now. I don't have any reason to believe a bunch of these kids are going to decommit, but I think it is critically important for them to win at least one of these big games. Get one of those sometimes overhyped, but in this case, I think very properly hyped program-defining wins. Jeremy Pruitt's going to need one this year. You can only sell hope for so long, but man, they've done a great job of it so far. Here's the other thing that people wonder. I don't know if many of you want to say it out loud. Subconsciously, this is what worries you, though. Subconsciously, when it comes to rival fans of Tennessee, what worries you really is you're looking around and you're seeing Jeremy Pruitt put together a top 15 class and a top 10 class. Let's just say they finished seventh or sixth this recruiting cycle, and they have sold nothing but hope. There's been no product on the field they've been able to sell. What you think in your heart of hearts is um, this Pruitt guy 
if he just pulled this off with these kinds of records and this little production and that bear on a trophy case, if he's done this with that, what happens when they start winning a few? What happens when they're a contender in the SEC East? What happens when Tennessee football matters outside of Knoxville, Tennessee and the like into November? and mid-November, and late November, and God forbid they ever actually slip up and get to Atlanta, play for an SEC championship. A lot of you want to stifle Tennessee. A lot of you want to stifle the growth before it really becomes a nuisance for you. I understand. If I was a Georgia fan, I'd feel the same way. It's nice to just be able to thump them away like a pesky gnat every, every year. It's nice to run off that string like you've run off as a Florida Gator fan. That's nice. I just think that it's borrowed time right now. Not telling you they're about to run off a string against you, but I am telling you as many reasons as you have to be pessimistic about this, I think there are as many if not more reasons to be very optimistic about the run that Tennessee football could be set to go on. Just become a contender, if nothing more. That upsets a lot of what is current in the SEC East. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I was going to talk about something else. I won't spoil it because I think we're going to talk about it on the Sunday night show. But I was going to talk about something else here. But then I was looking around 247sports.com before I came in. Pouring down rain in Nashville. I had to wait to the last minute to come down here. Beautiful rainbow, though. Colin, did you see that? I've never seen deeper purple than that in a rainbow. That has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. So Brandon Marcello, I saw right there on the front page of 247sports.com, and he is doing great work. We were in our national editorial meeting the other day. I think I saw Bud Elliott tweet this out. We're in our national editorial meeting and barely have the words SEC quarterback gotten out of someone's mouth. Then Marcello goes, I'll take it. And then you look up and he's got like 1,500, 2,000 words on it today. So he had a really good article. Uh, and I say article because I'm trying to stop saying peace because I don't even like the way it sounds, and a lot of you have pointed that out. Really good article from Brandon Marcello about a potential dip in SEC quarterback play this year. Now, some of this is inevitable. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't even take a football fan to know that you just had a kid like Tua Tungabailoa and a kid like Joe Burrow in this conference, and they're both gone. That much we know. Now, how is it going to affect the rest of the Southeastern Conference? Because while Jake Fromm 
did not get drafted in the first round. He was an established quarterback at Georgia. He was at least a known commodity. Whether you liked him or not, he was a known commodity. He's out, so you have uncertainty right now at the quarterback position. I think anyone could safely say at Georgia with Jamie Newman. A lot of hype, a lot of hope, a lot of promise, but don't know what you have there. Don't definitively know what we have at LSU. Think you do. Don't definitively know. We don't even definitively know what we have at Alabama because as much as you may have confidence in Mac Jones, do you know he's going to be the starter in week six? No, definitively you don't. So there are key changes, but as Brandon Marcello points out, let me read a little bit of this. He points out something that I think is really the core of this entire article. What the SEC is not lacking is quarterback gurus. No less than five coaches in this conference could be considered among the 20 best quarterback coaches in the country. Now, he's pointing out Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Dan Mullen, Jimbo Fisher. He points out Gus Malzahn. I think you could throw Steve Sarkeesian in here at Alabama, so that's half a dozen guys. That has not been has never been the reputation of the SEC. That's what's changed down here. Talk about modernizing. I was talking about Michigan early. That's what's happened down here. A lot of people have done down here in the SEC what Michigan needs to do. But because of that, you have a generational talent in Joe Burrow come through LSU, and now he's gone. You have a generational talent in Tuatonga Vailoa come through Alabama, and now he's gone. But what you don't necessarily have to assume is, dude, it'll take them forever. I mean, it may be 10 years, 15 years before they ever see anything resembling that. Maybe so. But everything that surrounded them from an infrastructure coaching standpoint, system standpoint, at least that's in place now in the SEC, the likes of which you've never seen it in mass, nearly conference-wide. So he continues, similar changes are being made at no less than four SEC programs. Now, I want to pause there for a second because that kind of delves into another point. But Let's talk about how crazy it could get down here in the SEC. I say down here because geographically that's where I'm located. Down here in the SEC, crazy happens every year, okay? Zoom it out. College football, crazy happens every year. If you were ever to buy a season preview magazine or just write your own predictions down on a piece of paper in July and then revisit that magazine or revisit your predictions in January after the confetti has settled and we have a national champion, when's the last time that you ever looked back over the span of a season and everything you wrote down in July panned out? When's the last time that something didn't happen that you would have thought would be crazy if you wrote it on that piece of paper in July? Never. Even, even the most predictable college football seasons in history, crazy stuff's happened. In the average season, a lot of crazy stuff happens. So there's no skill in predicting that. There's also no skill in predicting what it'll be. We know crazy happens every year. We know a 15 is going to upset a 2 somewhere in the NCAA tournament in a non-COVID year, too. Where you bust your bracket is trying to figure out where it's going to happen. So where you bust your college football predictions is trying to figure out where it'll happen. But on this show, we don't really care about predictions all that much. So let's talk about it for a second. Where could it happen? How crazy could it get? What if I suggested at precious few places in the SEC where there are returning experienced quarterbacks, what if you just had a mess in the SEC West it was a knife fight as usual, but experience at quarterback ended up winning out, and it was either Bo Nix at Auburn or maybe Kellen Mond and Jimbo Fisher at AM that came out of nowhere and they kind of, you know, crawled, bear crawled over broken glass and got themselves to Atlanta. What if it was Kyle Trask in Florida and Dan Mullen waiting for them in Atlanta? In retrospect, I'll tell you what would happen. The week leading up to SEC Championship Saturday, a lot of people would break out their keyboards and they would say, we should have seen this coming. These were the two programs with the best combination of head coach, 
slash quarterback guru and returning quarterback in the SEC. And I would probably counter with, no, you shouldn't have seen it coming. There's nothing you know now that you don't know or you didn't know then. And we're in December, hypothetically now. Uh, we know now Kyle Trask is going to be the starting quarterback for Florida. Dan Mullen's going to be his coach. We know right now Kellen Mond's a starter in College Station. Jimbo Fisher's his coach. Does that lead anyone out there to believe, maybe more so for Florida than AM, but does anyone believe AM's coming out of the West? How many of you do? I don't, I don't fault you. You can make a prediction. Yours is as valuable as mine. I just want you to go on record with it. Because a lot of people like to wag their finger at the rest of America, you know, in retrospect, when everyone knows what happened. It's easy to make a prediction after games have already happened. A lot of folks, though, will probably sit there if that were to pan out and say, oh, we should have seen this coming. No, you shouldn't. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but I think it'd be pretty crazy. But Trask at Florida, Mond, in College Station, I think Bo Nix is a little forgotten in this whole equation, but Bo Nix there too. But then Marcelo goes on. I need to use his full name, Brandon Marcelo. This is not a, a Zoom conference at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. He said, similar changes are being made at no less than four SEC programs. When he says similar, he's talking about maybe you don't think that experience is going to win out at quarterback. Maybe you're not looking at Florida. Maybe you're not looking at Texas A&M. Maybe you're looking for the next, what he called the LSU effect. So where could a version, a, a sampling of the LSU effect pop up? Well, the air raid, and this is Marce Brandon Marcello writing again, the air raid is back in the SEC with Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Also got KJ Costello transferring in there. Lane Kiffin was the brainchild of Alabama, sudden switch to a wide open approach. When he was the OC for the Tide, he is now in Oxford, Mississippi. Former Southern Miss coach Todd Munkin calling the plays with a new quarterback at Georgia. And Gus Malzahn has turned the keys of his offense. I think a lot of you have forgotten about this, but remember, Gus Malzahn has hired former Arkansas head coach and former Clemson offensive coordinator, Chad Morris. Now the question on the planes is how much delegation of the offense and responsibilities from a play calling and week-to-week -week game planning standpoint are truly being transferred from Gus Malzahn to Chad Morris. And if you were to listen to what's come out down there, it's 100%. If you've ever followed Auburn football, then you know we need to take a wait-and-see approach on that. But let's just, for sake of argument, say it is Chad Morris offense down there. Well, it's going to look different. A lot more intermediate passing, a lot more using the middle of the field, a lot more utilizing an entire playbook and making a defense defend the entire field. Ideally, if you're an Auburn fan, you have a second-year quarterback, you have good enough talent. Ideally, that's what the offense would look like this year. So could there be that lightning in a bottle, or maybe some smaller lightning bolts, but lightning in a bottle effect somewhere, the likes of which we saw last year with LSU? There isn't a roster with the kind of talent LSU has on it, and I don't say that dismissively because I know the best scheme in the world wouldn't have mattered had they brought that thing into Tulane last year. There was a reason LSU could do what they did, but... There is, they're not hurting for talent at Auburn. They're not hurting for talent at these places. Maybe they don't have a, a roster full of over a dozen future NFL guys in next year's draft. But this was interesting to me because this is something as we get into August, as we start getting feedback from our folks on the ground in places like Ole Miss or Mississippi State, places like Athens, I mean, when you start to get some whispers out of camp, how is Jamie Newman messing or meshing rather with that team, that offense? Um, how, how is Todd Monk, a new offensive coordinator there? How do they feel like their install has gone? Do they feel comfortable enough with shifting towards an approach that favors that side of the ball, even as they've lost spring, knowing they got a top defense in the country? Is that really the style of play they want at Georgia this year? Is Kellen Mond in, uh, it feels like year 10 under Jimbo Fisher, although it's not, 
Is he finally a guy that can turn the corner out there? Is Kyle Trask, and this is where it seems more likely, I mean, with all the uncertainty everywhere else, is Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen in year two? You saw what they did with no weeks to prepare, and they still transitioned their offense. Now they got a whole offseason to prepare. Or do you have something crazy like Mike Bobo coming into Columbia, South Carolina? Does he all of a sudden revolutionize South Carolina? It's a much taller task, I think, there because of the relative relative roster inadequacies in Columbia, maybe relative to a Florida or maybe relative to a Georgia, but still could happen. This is something to watch, folks. This is something to watch big time because we're not talking about competing here for a late December bowl game if we do have a normal bowl schedule. We're talking about bona fide playoff contenders if you get this stuff figured out, and we're talking about some really upset fan bases with high expectations if these folks don't get it figured out. All right, some housekeeping. We had a question, a couple of questions. Now, Jeffrey asked this question, but I saw at least two dozen of you ask this or a variation of this question this week. Jeffrey asked, why would you update rankings with no new information on players? What Jeffrey's talking about is we had rankings week. It was a rankings update week for us at 24-7 Sports. So you had some players rise, some players fall. Uh, You are never going to have that without conspiracy theories. They're for my team. They're against my team, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter how many evidence or how many pieces of evidence you can present to the contrary. But Jeffrey asks a basic question, okay? Jeffrey's asking, if there haven't been any practices and there haven't been any camps and nothing's changed, there haven't been any games played, how could you update rankings? Now, on the surface, this is one of those you have to think it through to a logical conclusion. Because on the surface, I understand this sentiment. I understand it, so let me walk you through it. I work here. I'm not on the rankings council. I don't have a thing to do with these star rankings. But I hear what you're saying, and I'm in a unique position to also... (laughs) I didn't know we had B-roll of Barton. That's Steve Wolfong. That's great. Colin, could you just give me this so I can watch it at home in my spare time? I want you to ask yourself this, Jeffrey, because I have a pretty unique perspective here. I understand you, and I have a unique perspective, and also being privy to this. I sit in on some of their recruiting calls. These things last hours. I mean, they take deep dives on this stuff. So let me, let me toss you a hypothetical that's a reality, Jeffrey. Let's say that you owned 24-7, or let's say you ran this recruiting rankings council, and COVID pops up and everything goes dormant. But let's say that you took that time to beat the road, beat the pavement, and you hit up your sources, and you hit up coaches in a lot of cases, and so you start accumulating new bits of information on players. And all of a sudden, you also do deeper dives and deeper evaluations on players yourself. And you started off where we got a different evaluation on 10 players now, a combination of us getting more feedback from coaches, our regional scouts have done their due diligence, we've done our due diligence. We got 10 players here that, I mean, we could update them right now. And then another week goes by. And then you got 24 new evaluations that you really feel comfortable changing. And then you get more feedback and you do deeper dives. And all of a sudden, I got 40 players here that I have a different evaluation on than I did a few weeks ago, even though, as you would point out accurately, nothing else has happened. There's a big difference between no more games, no more camps, and no more information. You can always collect more information. So let me ask you something, Jeffrey. All of a sudden you get a few weeks in and you got 100 to 150 kids here who you feel very confident you have enough new information on and new evaluations on to change ratings. What would you do? Would you sit there with those new 
wheelbarrowfuls of evaluations and wait until camps open back up? Of course not. What you would do if you cared about running a successful business is you'd do exactly what your calendar told you to do, exactly what you always planned to do. You would release those ratings. So that's what they did at 24-7 this past week. That explains it. That's why. That's the why. You saw the what, I gave you the why. I hope that sufficed. A young man who will go only by the name of Fitz brings us our next question. This was in the rarely visited but open Instagram DMs today. Young Fitz was listening to the Late Kick Extra podcast, and for those who haven't listened, we release it every Wednesday. It is nothing but your questions, wall to wall. If you want to submit a question and you're watching YouTube right now, look at the linked comment, the pinned comment right below here. You can submit your questions there. Or just go to the podcast and fill out a review, five-star review, write a comment, submit a question there. I can promise you I'll read those. But I told a story. We talk college football on this, but we talk a lot of other stuff too. I literally answer all of your questions. You ask me for cooking advice, it's going to be a short answer. Going to have a lot of ramen noodle involved answering, but, but I'll give you an answer. But I am a storm chaser too. I've, I've chased storms for over a decade. I have a storm chasing team back home. So I've seen my fair share of tornadic supercells, been involved in my fair share of those situations. And I told a story because someone asked me how close I had been to a tornado. So I told a story of the first tornado I ever saw. Vividly remember it. I was at Moultrie Park in Hamilton, Georgia, just off Highway 116 there, for those of you familiar with the area. And I was coaching what I remembered to be a Little League team. Well, the only thing that young Fitz wanted to point out, because he played on this team, is it was not a Little League team, you idiot. It was a Babe Ruth team, which consists of 13 and 14-year-olds instead of 9 to 12s. Otherwise, the story was accurate. He just wanted to point it out. But what happened was our season was done. We were up there taking team pictures. Hurricane Ivan had just come on shore to the south of us down on the Gulf Coast. And it wasn't pouring rain at the moment, so we were taking our team pictures. And the system's moving through, and a lot of times you have brief spin-up tornadoes when a tropical system's moving through. And sure enough, you got a wide open area. You can see like two miles from where we're standing at this particular point. And a tornado pops up right across Highway 116. Just a little spin-up tornado out of nowhere. So we had to run. We had to run down a mud-soaked hill. And some people didn't make it all the way down. We had to hide in a dugout. And that tornado, EF0 tornado, but by far as close as I had gotten to one ever, and until last year maintained uh, its status as the closest I'd ever gotten to one, came right across the facility, tore up some fencing, threw some trash cans all over the place. Uh, but EF0 tornado. Anyway, Fitz was quality control checking me in the podcast and pointed out I was not a little leaguer. I was in Babe Ruth, my friend. I was already out of middle school by the time that happened. My apologies, Fitz. And it was good to hear from you after like 19 years, buddy, today. Um, but man, what a day that was. And uh, if you want to hear the rest of that story, you can listen to the Late Kick podcast. I told like four other tornado stories. It was really fun. You guys really want to get me in trouble, you should ask me about train hopping. Just a little hint, a little suggestion there if you really want to get me in trouble. we got to get out of here. We've gone 40 minutes tonight. I think it's been a pretty good show. Uh, we'll be back here Sunday night, same time, same, uh, well, there is no other channel, so it's the same channel. So this is the point of the show where instead of talking more, I just shut up and tell you I'll see you Sunday night. Thank you for watching. This has been The Late Kick for Aaron, for Colin, for Tani on the podcast side. I'm Josh Pate. We'll see you back here Sunday night. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.